We will proceed no further in this business. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Hath it slept since? And it wakes now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely? Privy peace, I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast wasn't then that made you break this enterprise to me? When do durst do it, then you were a man. If we should fail. We fail, but screw your courage to the sticking place and will not fail. Not fail. Hello and welcome to The Scottish Film, a podcast that's not about Scottish films. I'm Paul Salt. And I'm Katie Maiden. And we're here to review as many adaptations of William Shakespeare's Macbeth as we can before we run out or are allowed to go outside again. Let's see which comes first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As this is our first episode, perhaps we'd do well to talk a little about our personal history with the Scottish play. We best call it. Absolutely. Sounds, Sounds good. Yeah. So... When did you first read it, and have you actually been in a production of it? Ooh, interesting question. <laughs> I have... Um, I first read Macbeth, I think we did it in year eight at school. Mm. I think I may have read it beforehand, yeah. because I was introduced to Shakespeare very early. Mm. Um, my dad is a thespian, oh, an yes. actor, <laughs> and um, I remember seeing my first Shakespeare play when I was about eight nice maybe even seven Mm. um so Macbeth is one of the shorter ones and I remember reading it early so at least about 12 years old maybe beforehand cool and no I haven't been in a production of it but I have seen it on stage oh beautiful I think I read it around year nine if I remember correctly and um at my school I don't know if it was like this for all schools but my school was a bad school (laughs) we were in a bad (laughs) class so we didn't study the whole play we studied like scenes like five scenes and then we just like read a summary or watched a movie of the rest so that we would know vaguely the context because that's not uncommon (laughs) yeah no that's definitely how how we did it too I think okay (laughs) I assume that I was a nerd and read the whole thing I have I have since read it as well yeah Oh yeah, I I have to, and I it's probably my favorite Shakespeare play, in fact, because it's really almost straight up a ghost story, and I love ghost yeah. stories. It's the one that has the simplest plot, and I think that's why you get such a really interesting range of adaptations of it that sort of transport the plot to you know ancient Japan or um like fifties uh, Chicago uh, or a kitchen yeah. at some stage we've got coming up so yeah I, I like it mm. it actually used to be one of my least favorite Ooh. ones until I realized that the simplicity of the story is actually mm. its most like redeeming feature yeah so my favorite Shakespeare play has always been Hamlet oh, which yeah. is the longest one <laughs> um but yeah I have really grown to love Macbeth since mm. I've been more in tune with like why like you said it's a ghost story Mm, absolutely so as this is our first episode how about a quick plot rundown just in case any of the boys and girls listening haven't seen Macbeth yes indeed yeah so Macbeth (laughs) he's a guy (laughs) he's He's, a guy he's a a Scottish man (laughs) a Scottish man does does he have canonically a, a, a time is he 12th century or sort of medieval right i don't i don't i'm not sure it's definitely yeah. medieval but i yeah. don't think there's any kind of solid so yeah so uh he's a guy he's coming back from a war and he bumps into three witches and oh uh... hey guys what are you doing here, <laughs> what are you doing here? oh moors? my god fancy running into you we've got a prophecy about you so <laughs> <laughs> they tell him what a coincidence <laughs> And they tell him in really dickish moves. What are these witches up to exactly? That yeah. would be interesting to keep hold mm-hmm. to keep an eye on. But they tell him basically, you're going to be king, and your sons are going to be king. And they're like, oh, that's nice. And they don't really put that together at that stage as to what that means. No, because like he doesn't have a son. <laughs> yeah. It's so like... he's like sweet, gonna get laid. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's so Macbeth gonna be king. Banquo, kids are going to be king. Everyone's happy with that and goes away. They banish. Well, they also tell Macbeth that, hey, you're first of all going to be king of Glam's. And that happens really quickly. And so it's like, oh, their prophecies are coming true. I guess that means we now make the rest of it come true. I'm going to kill Duncan and become king. 
and yeah though that isn't quite it doesn't happen that quickly the whole no, no, killing no. duncan like <laughs> revelation in his there head. is a discussion there and is a discussion. Lady Macbeth, who has um, sort of been told of these prophecies and of the sort of semi-trueness of them so far, kind of encourages him. Yes. <laughs> in the lightest death. terms possibly, she <laughs> encourages him. She gently nudges him in that direction. <laughs> gently. Um, so gently. <laughs> and helps out. So they do it. They kill him. And he becomes king. Then he gets all paranoid because now he's putting two and two together and it's like, great, now I'm king. And your sons will be king one day. Wait, how's that going to happen? Yeah, exactly. So he's like, hang on a second. Hang on a minute. This doesn't make sense. Banquo, maybe not BFF anymore. (laughs) No, he sends off two and or three killers to go and kill him. (laughs) (laughs) And and once they've managed to do that, uh, they come back and he's like, great, I'm going to have a party now because my best friend's been murdered. Uh, But fuck, the ghost shows up anyway, even though he's dead. Yeah, the ghost is like, woo, having a party. He cannot pick up on social cues. No, you're not welcome here, but yeah time is over but he shows up and freaks out Macbeth in front of everyone and they all get and everyone gets really alarmed by how weird he's being yeah except for Lady Macbeth who's like he's been like this since childhood <laughs> it's cu- doesn't he say something about tradition it's tradition it's <laughs> she's like don't worry it's fine he's always like this old joker <laughs> and then whispering to him stuff like look when all is said and done that's an empty chair so be like stop it <laughs> so dude you need to chill but he doesn't chill at all. He um, decides that, uh, well, one of his lords escapes, uh, Macduff. He flees to England and he says, oh, well, he's a traitor. So let's kill him and his family. So they go to his house, but he's not there. Oh, that's right. He fled. That's why I'm angry. Yeah, that's not it. there because he went and <laughs> sought out the English. It's always the English. Yeah. And other people from Christendom. Oh, yeah. And the mm-hmm. wife is quite rightly, how come he left us? Why? Yeah. <laughs> the wife is like, why did he leave me and the children? What and my a annoying child. Dick. <laughs> so she and her annoying child are dead. Are killed. Uh, Macduff learns about this and he's not happy. And he teams up with mm. Malcolm, who is Duncan's son. Oh my God. <gasps> oh my oh. God. But also, like, why didn't Malcolm just become king in the first place? I'm not really sure about the line of succession uh, thing that's uh, happening here. It's a little hazy. Basically, Macbeth is a really good salesman. <laughs> he's a really good he's got a line he talks about um mcduff's uh sorry malcolm's emails and it all gets very confusing and and he appeals to the populist movement and Macbeth gets to become king it's Uh so yeah everyone that Macbeth has managed to piss off all gang up and come to come back to get him he goes and sees the witches one more time who tell him look relax okay three things first of all um beware Macduff." Yeah, okay, beware, Macduff, <laughs> so and far it's like not sexy her. <laughs> so far this is not putting me at ease. Okay, well don't worry about it, the next two will. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bullet point here. This is how they actually say it. They're like, <laughs> this, Mate, is the beauty of, this is the Shakespeare's language. So, <laughs> point B. Um, when the wood... Uh, no, uh, you won't be killed by anyone not born of... Uh, I've used a lot of negatives there. <laughs> You will be killed. Basically, by someone... you won't be born. You won't be killed by anyone born of a woman. Yeah. So if a- if anyone was born of a woman, you do not fear them. It's and like, oh, Macbeth great. is like, that's everyone, dude. Like, <laughs> don't they I'm even fine. say you'll not be killed by a man of woman born. It's like, well, that's everyone. It's like, well, dude, a, ch- a chick could do it. <laughs> nah, nah, never. I'm awesome. Wells, goddammit. Oh, he's not yet. Don't worry, everyone. Oh um, yeah, he will be. <laughs> he will be soon. And then everyone else. Um. So, and and the third part of the prophecy is, hey, you know those big woods right outside of Dunsinane Castle? Um, Bornham? Bornham? Yeah. I was going to call it Borum Wood because there's a station. Borum Wood. <laughs> Borum, the legendary ancient forest of Borum Wood. Um, <laughs> that, you're not going to die until that thing actually comes up to your castle. And it's like, well, woods don't move. That's fine. Yeah, he's fi- he's like, this is all fine. I'm I am absolutely not. fine. I am absolutely fine. Anyway, Lady Macbeth goes insane and kills herself. Yep, so that's that happens really fast. <laughs> that was quite quick, yeah. At yeah. five, <laughs> by the way, everyone. I feel like Shakespeare's just writing it. It was like, great, now for the big ending. Oh shit, what do I do about her? Uh, crazy. Uh, suicide? What do, what do ladies do? Goes crazy and commits suicide, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sweet. Uh, then the soldiers all decide we're going to sneak up on the castle. But to make it special and a little bit spooky, let's cut <laughs> down the trees. 
and wear them as like hats. Yeah, I mean, that's not uncomfortable at all. <laughs> it's totally natural. And it will disguise our numbers? Yeah, so, you know, it'll look like there's less of us because there won't be any of us because we're trees. <laughs> guys, there are 10,000 trees moving around down there and three guys. Three guys, <laughs> we can take them. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, so the battle happens. It ends in a duel between uh, Macbeth and Malcolm. And he's like, you can't kill me because you were born out of a woman, probably. I'm guessing, And then, right? uh-oh. <gasps> Twist. <gasps> How are you going to get out of this one, Shakespeare? C-section. That's how he's getting out of this one. Oh, I know, right? Yes. He was untimely ripped. From thy mother's womb. Oh. And... Just like me. I was born by C-section. Oh, no. I can kill Macbeth. You could doubly kill Macbeth. First of all, for not being a man. Secondly. <laughs> <laughs> I could kill him twice. <laughs> and you're always hanging around Boreham Woods, so... I know. You are just, he is, he, you're just trouble to him. So, Mac, uh, Macbeth dies. Malcolm yeah. is king. Everyone's quite happy about it. The end. Woo-hoo! Woo! So, <laughs> after that brief breeze through uh, the plot, we are now into Orson Welles. Orson Welles, 1948 we're... adaptation of yeah. Macbeth. We will proceed no further in this business. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Have it slept since and wakes it now to look so green and pale on what it did so freely? From this time, such I account thy love. Art thou afeard to be the same in thine own act and valor as thou art in desire? I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is not. We weren't able to find any of the silent adaptations of the play, which happened at least three times, but none of them have survived. A lot of lost films, though, unfortunately. So Very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. I'd love to have seen a sort of silent rendition of, you know, the um, the silent film subtitle comes up and it's like a page of text. Everyone's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to express this more visually. So, yes, Wells did have form adapting Macbeth because he very memorably staged an all-black production of Macbeth back in 1936, uh, colloquially known as Voodoo Macbeth, um, because, ah, yes. the, because the action has moved from the Scottish Highlands to the fictional Caribbean islands, but also racism. Just, also. Yeah, also yeah. that. Just, oh yeah, the, the voodoo one. Ah. ah, it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. It's the 30s. <laughs> it's fine. There's voodoo in it. This was written by a white man. Two white men. So, <laughs> centuries apart. Um, but it, it is meant to be a really progressive thing. It became a really, you know, must-see thing. But then again, for some reason, racists have always been fine having black people in entertainment. So, I don't know what that's about. Um, <laughs> racists. Racists. What are they like? <sighs> if, if you're out there and you're a racist, write in. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> i'm just kidding there are none on the internet so (laughs) uh and yeah orson wells was 20 years old um at the point when he did that six years short of making one of the greatest films of um all time yes i assume you're talking about citizen kane yeah (laughs) so lots to feel good about there (laughs) god he's so young in that he's so young in all of this anyway (laughs) yeah i mean this is what 1948 so he is at this stage mass 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 12 like years older than... Oh, he's 32. 32, yeah. Jeez, man. That's only a year off our age. Yeah. <laughs> and he's making just definitive versions of things. And we are locked in our houses making a <laughs> podcast. Orson Welles did his best stuff when he was too fat to get out of his house, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do, is you spend your 20s making everyone go, whoa, what the fuck? And then you can get as fat as you want. And so long as you keep the voice... That's what you... I'm planning to do. I'm planning <laughs> to get really fat over this time indoors. <laughs> I've earned it now. So, <laughs> so we come to our first segment, his hour upon the stage. How was the film? Well, you say hour, but it was actually an hour and 42 minutes. It was. It was quite succinct. Um, It was, it was good. Mm. And then also not so good in oh. other parts. <gasps> I liked that it was very traditional mm. and basically word for word adaptation here. Yeah. Very yeah, we'll talk about language. that a bit. We a will, bit later yeah. um i thought that it was a bit dingy dingy do you know what i mean well, very dark yeah so mm. it was very 
the the setting was very simple in the way mm. that it was just like a kind of like a castle and a field minimalist yeah but it was very dingy but obviously mm. this is like 1948 so i guess they didn't have mm. my modern lighting or whatever well it's in I black mean... and white so i don't know in the in that way i thought it was a bit dingy but i guess mm. so is the film um, yeah. So is sorry. So is the play. It is rather. It it is suiting a claustrophobic environment. It was certainly very cheaply made. Um, something um, Wells remarked upon several times in interview was that they were making this essentially. I think it was in twenty days with wow. um, sets that they borrowed from westerns and costumes that they could just get lay their hands on. Yeah, <laughs> so... I mean, it it is. Uh, I like the fact that it was pretty much like watching a play. Mm. What about you? I, I really loved this. I, I thought um, the the filmmaking of it struck me as being really quite sophisticated. Um, first of all, it's very expressionist. The sets are simple, but they're really bizarre. Like a, they like are a bizarre. Dream. I noticed that the yeah. the castle is kind of mm. like a cave, right? Yes, with like a, like a hill. It's like a, a it's like a, a Dore illustration or something. And the 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 set where he is just before he's told that his wife is dead is straight sci fi. It's these weird pillars of rock. It's like how a, f- a 50s sci-fi covered illustrator would show Mars or something. It's really bizarre. Yeah, I, it's, yeah <laughs> it is like kind of Marsy. Mm. And um, the costumes, especially when he becomes king, mm, it, yes. it's just amazing. Like his crown and yeah, her square. kind of veil. Mm. Yeah. It was really like, <laughs> just like awesome. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed like those like little bits of costume that yeah, were the, clearly very well made. Yeah, production design was very, um, again, very ge- sort of German expressionist. And you had this gorgeous black and white photography with long shadows and smoke, and these really great moments of shallow focus where, like, a character moves into the foreground and the background goes all blurry and dark, and we just focus on them. Particularly due uh, in the f- surprisingly few soliloquy moments, you don't get too many of those. Um, well, I noticed that. Um, in this, the soliloquy moments are done as over voices. Yes. Yeah, so they're done in their heads. So mm. their mouths aren't actually moving in like a traditional soliloquy mm. where you talk to the audience because yeah. the audience is now a film audience. Mm. So you can do it as an over voice. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if I like that that much. Okay. I didn't mind it in the short pieces. Mm. But when it was the longer soliloquies and you're the only person on the in the picture yeah i found it a bit weird it's interesting this because what we're looking at is similar with the adaptation of you know musicals and such is the ways in which audiences are willing to suspend their disbelief differently for film and for stage in stage there's kind of an unwritten expectation that of course the 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 actor is going to turn to us and start talking it's a play why wouldn't they and in a film there's almost less of a willingness to suspend that disbelief and more of a uh, an urge to see everything on screen as uh, literal. So if they start talking, they must they they must actually be talking. So if they're around other people, then why wouldn't they be hearing it? But do you not talk to yourself out loud when you're Sometimes, just you yeah. in a room? So mm. that and the yeah. kind of longer soliloquy where he's talking to himself in mm. this kind of um, the it, you know the dagger. Speech oh yes, that, yeah. That that bit could have been done him talking out loud because mm. at this point he's going a bit crazy, mm. and so you would start talking to yourself out loud. But yeah. then again, I understand <laughs> the thought behind yeah. it. Yeah, I, I want to highlight some shots though because, um, I mean the most iconic one to me is Macbeth casting the really long shadow in front of him just before the army arrives, and he's yep. wearing his crown and his armor, and it's just before the reveal of interestingly, I think it's Seward's body. Because he's hung himself from the bell. I think Seward gets killed sort of outright in the um, in the play. Here he hangs himself and he's just kind of limply hung from the bell as it gently clatters. As he well, there's a couple of scenes where there's people mm. hanging in the background. Yeah. yeah it's well, I don't know whether that was to kind of add to the spooky horror element. Mm. And also Macbeth's, maybe the despair of the situation or Macbeth's madness. Yeah. I really love the scene with Macbeth and Banquo just before the murder. Banquo's cloak is billowing as he gently descends the steps, talking in his very creepy way. Banquo has a, a creepy voice in this for some reason. How goes the night, boy? The moon is down. I have not heard the clock. Oh, take my sword. There is husbandry in heaven. Their candles are all out. 
but um, he's descending the staircase with flea arms. Um, and yeah, it's just this really spooky atmospheric moment, and Macbeth is in the foreground watching the two as they descend the stairs. And then at the end, when Malcolm just shows up, and it's it's just such a hero reveal moment where you just see him, and he's like hench in his armor with a Christian <laughs> cross coming out the top of his helmet, and yeah. smoke billowing in from behind him. Do you know what? Um, I one of the things I noticed that I really liked was when you first meet Lady Macbeth. Mm. They have like this embrace, this like hug. And there's like, you know, people in the background, whatever. And then right at the end with their final scene, you have another embrace that was basically a mirror copy of the first one. So it's kind of like they were beginning and ending Lady Macbeth's story with mm. Macbeth and Lady Macbeth kind of embracing. That's interesting. And I didn't know whether that was deliberate, but it was very <laughs> cool. Also, oh. I'd like to give a big shout out oh. to Macduff's hair. <laughs> Oh my god, this guy is has he this the guy amazing with curly hair. Is he the guy with the long, messy hair and the braids? Or was that uh, Ross? No, that was Ross. No. That was um that was someone else, but he had that he just mm. had this like kind of shoulder length nice. curly hair. <laughs> and I Listen. was like, dude, give me your <laughs> John Frieda Dream Curls hair. <laughs> there was some mighty hair in this. Oh, and there's also just really long shots. Um Orson Welles loves a long shot. He loves um, sort of just moving around, shifting focus. He loves that kind of thing. And when you've got Macbeth and Lady Macbeth moving into close up on Macbeth to Porter, this is just after the murder, to Porter entering screen left, to Macduff entering through the gates, to Macbeth in foreground as Macduff approaches, deep focus shot with Macbeth and Lennox, then an even deeper shot with Macduff entering from sort of uh, Duncan's chamber up top in the far background. And it's just all one sequence, and it's just so many different setups in this one sequence. It's really quite striking. And there's a similar scene as the arm, enemy army arrive, um, um, and he's sort of looking over the battlements, and then he goes and Macbeth's, uh, Lady Macbeth's sort of sickness chamber is just off screen. So he like walks on the battlements through to her, you know, being seen to by doctors. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, a really beautiful flow to the whole thing. Yeah, no, there is, for the whole mm. movie, there's this amazing flow. Mm. That's almost like you're quite, well, like I said, it's a bit like you're watching a stage play. Mm, yeah. So in this kind of way, everybody knows their cue. Everybody is coming in and going out in this very like fluid motion mm. of this is happening now, this is happening now, this is happening now. Yeah. There's no like, almost like there's no scene cuts. There are, mm. but it doesn't feel like there are because yeah. it's so fluid. A <laughs> couple of other observations before we move into uh, Shakespeare. Uh, first of all, a bit of voodoo does make it into this version because the witches make a little clay doll. Of, they do, uh, yeah. That's weird. Uh, I liked it, mm. but it was it was weird. I liked it because it was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was creepy. Like, I yeah, think, is it just when he's been crowned king, they put the crown on him and there's like blood pouring down his face or, or yeah, something? Yeah, because they like, they make yeah. it at the beginning, like mm. right at the beginning when they're doing the opening famous opening scene, double yeah. double, and yeah. then they bring it back. Yeah, when he's become king and they put the crown mm. on. So it's this kind of like, I guess, I don't know whether they wanted to just have them, because, you know, in the opening scene, they're just kind of mm. round a cauldron. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are they doing? Like, are they making like soup? That's I don't know. True. They don't use whatever it is they're making with their eye of frog and <laughs> eye of newt and all the rest of it. So there you go. Now yeah. we know what they're making. Some sort of weird woodoo. Woodoo? Woodoo. Voodoo. The woodoo that you do. <laughs> woodoo. Woohoo. Um, yeah. That's so true. I thought that yeah. was cool as well. And it also just raises further, because um, Orwell said that he wanted this film to be about kind of old religion versus new religion. So the witches represent like pagan beliefs and everybody else, the Scottish characters are all like Christian beliefs, which is why they show up with these crosses on yeah, their Yeah, there was, well, there was that scene at the beginning with Duncan where they were all mm. like praying and they've all got candles. Mm. And so he's he's kind of representation, I guess, of like a like a priest or... Mm something yeah, you know yeah. some sort of head of the church yeah and that's interesting it may be hinting at the sort of unspoken of oppression of natives that kind of happened you know as a result of new um religions and things landing in england oh well, like... I was, yeah i was gonna say i mean think about when shakespeare wrote this this is mm. just post-reformation and we've just gone through you know all different so you've gone from catholic to protestant back to catholic mm. back to protestant 
back to Catholic, back to Protestant. <laughs> and now he's kind of Elizabethan, so he's in this very um, Protestant era, mm. but having just gone through the reign of Bloody Mary. So it's... Wow, yeah. Yeah, he probably has, you know, when Shakespeare wrote this, he's probably had that in his head as well. He's so. got oppression on the mind, yeah. That's really interesting, the way that that sort of survives both versions. Because I'm trying to think, what would Orson Welles... I mean, immediately post-war, of course. Immediately post-war, yeah. So, yeah. you know, we've got that kind of just general feeling of of, mm. of darkness and, you know, yeah. r- rationing is still happening at this time. Mm. Wells really loved Europe. He spent a lot of time traveling there. He actually met Hitler before he became chancellor. He um just happened upon him. At Who some... hasn't met Hitler? Who hasn't met Hitler at some point? <laughs> but um, it's interesting because he, of course, also adapted The Trial, the Franz Kafka novel. And at the end yep. of that um, story in um, in Kafka's novel, um, is it Kay, the main character? Oh, I can't remember. It was a long time ago oh, when I read it. I think it's Kay. He um, basically submits to execution. He goes willingly to his place of execution and is killed there. Spoiler alert for the trial. Spoiler! Um, also spoiler for the trial by Orson Welles in the end of his version, um, he resists and he yeah. basically kind of blows himself up. And someone asked Orson Welles, why did it end that way? And he said, because of the Holocaust. I couldn't end Oh, movie. interesting. Yeah, I couldn't end my movie with Kay submitting to execution after the Holocaust. Um, that's, because... I mean, that's a very good point. Yeah. To be honest. So that sort of thing did influence him creatively. Yeah. I mean, it, how could it mm, not? Absolutely. A couple of other notes. Um, the Porter speech was rem- removed of any double entendre by the American censors, um, <laughs> which is amazing. Shakespeare was too saucy for 40s Hollywood. <laughs> oh my God. Shakespeare was so saucy. <laughs> he was pretty saucy, everyone. Yeah. He I was. heard. I, I, have, I don't know this for sure, but I heard that one of his characters in one of his other plays is called Bottom. Oh, stop it! Scandalous. <laughs> um, music here is really creepy. It's mostly like these ominous drums and kind of a yeah. bagpipe whine. That's really it's cool. kind of like almost like a just sounds. Yeah, like ambient sounds. Like yeah, you know, in universe. Mm creepy stuff and, and there fa- was a big there was a big drumming scene as well wasn't there so it's not oh, yeah. like the drums are um separate mm. from the action yeah yeah like the drums were actually part of it again like that like you would have in a play mm. you might have a drummer on stage so absolutely and finally i just want to point out ross's poker face because i'm gonna be interested <laughs> to see how they realize this in different versions because there is a bit in the play where um mcduff is like so how's my family well <laughs> How does my wife? Why? Well, and all my children. Will too. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he's completely like, because um, obviously you're like, uh, they're dead. Yeah. But obviously he's like, yeah, um, family? Uh, uh, I guess, yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Great. It's really just to save him an awkward conversation. Moving <laughs> on. Yeah. It actually benefits him for him to be pissed off at Macbeth. So It's like it's like if um Macduff like lent him a book and he bent <laughs> the spine. Oh no. And he's like, Hey, how's that book I lent you? And he's like, Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and then in his that? head he's like, Damn, I've got to get him a new one. <laughs> I've got to get this guy a new family. Oh, <laughs> God, can't exactly pop into Waterstone. <laughs> I'm sorry, Macduff, but all your sweet chickens are <laughs> gone. They are KFC'd. <laughs> well, speaking of KFC. <laughs> oh my God, this actually pertains because my quote is, fair is foul and foul is fair. <laughs> <laughs> Go to KFC where the foul is fair. That's a <laughs> Shakespearean motto you can have, KFC. You need it in these times. So, how close are we to Shakespeare here? Um, we are pretty damn close. Hmm. Out. Out. Brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. And then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot. Full of sound and fury. Signifying nothing. 
Yeah, like you so. said, there's a couple of things cut out. Uh-huh. Um, but this is pretty much a word-for-word adaptation in terms of the actual play. Yep. Um, and like I said, it is quite well done in that kind of fluid play motion. Yeah. Like, you know, people are almost coming on to stage and, yeah. you know, waiting for their cue and stuff. Um, so, yeah, pr- pretty close. I guess yeah. this is the first, like you said, the f- one of the first adaptations of Macbeth on film Mm. that has you know spoken word and um that is so i guess orson wells is trying to do it that way trying to Mm. do it justice preserve the language yeah trying to Mm. do it like he would if he was a theater director Mm. yeah absolutely and some of the actors um were also sticking somewhat closely to scottish you know, delivery. Um, uh, yeah, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> Lady Macbeth Scottish is fantastic. It's pretty good, yeah. Um, Alan Napier, who is later on going to play Alfred in the 1960s Batman. Wow. Um, he does a good accent here as uh, Duncan. There's no art to find the mind's construction in the face. He was a gentleman on whom I built an absolute trust. And he offers yeah. a very gentle kind of Duncan, very unassuming and kind of, oh. Oh. Yeah, and the witches are yeah. um, all Scottish, so... Poor in cow's blood that has eaten her nine pharaoh. That's sweating from the murderer's gibbet, thrown to the flame. Finger of birth strangled babe. It's delivered by a drab. Make the cruel. Thick and suave. Good stuff. Yeah, I think some of the changes and moving stuff around... You know, like um, in the famous scene of, you know, her trying to convince Macbeth to commit the murder, they take the practical stuff out about, you know, you know, the daggers and who would who else would receive it otherwise. You know, and they move that to an earlier sequence so that there's like a planning bit and then there's an emotionally focused bit. Yeah. And it just kind of makes good sense, the stuff that they've moved around. And, yeah, um, they've moved stuff around so it's a bit more like plot driven. Yeah. But uh, that's, I mean, it didn't take away... Like, I do get pretty angry when people mm. mess with Shakespeare Uh-oh. and it takes <laughs> and it takes stuff away from it. Like, yeah. But this didn't take away from it. Mm. That'll be interesting to keep track of as we go into the yeah. 1950s Chicago how, adaptation. How angry is Katie about this adaptation? <laughs> That's our new segment. That's what this segment is. <laughs> um, Macbeth has made a bit more of a witness to a few things, which might be, you know, Orson Welles' ego. I want to be in this scene too. <laughs> I want to be in every scene. He actually <laughs> played all three witches. <laughs> it was unbelievable, but the accent and the performance sold it. So, <laughs> uh, he witnesses the sleepwalking, which is good. It's not just like a couple of doctors like looking on. You know, he actually sees um, Lady Macbeth sleepwalking, which is good. It's good to have that sort of moment with him of, wow, my wife's really gone. Yeah. Especially as like that scene where you see her in the in the bedroom yeah it's like kind of out of nowhere yes well he kind of just does a walk past <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like well he's like just walking through and he's like oh you're how's crazy going? now <laughs> how's it going she's not good great see you later <laughs> <laughs> he's just just checking in yeah, yeah. Jump, you got this right dog you got it yeah <laughs> even jokes about it it's like she's okay right uh not really <laughs> just give her some medicine if only i had some medicine for these english am i right am i right bye, bye. <laughs> later <laughs> if only if only the english were as easy to solve as my wife's crippling <laughs> emotional problems crippling schizophrenia <laughs> he is laughing but he is in tears so um also he's there when macduff's family die that's new right yeah just, i he mean just... <sighs> And like you said, it might be also us being like, I yeah. could be in this scene. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's eponymous. Like, um, <laughs> is, I but I good. think, yeah, I don't think he's in that scene. I, could, I, I would need to check that, but I think yeah. you're right. I think it's good him being there because it's kind of like, because doesn't he get a moment with like Macbeth's, um, Macduff's wife before she's killed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a moment. But um, <laughs> yeah, he gets to just like be there and be a villain, you know, and be like, yeah, I'm making this happen. I'm going yeah. to see it happen as well. I'm that much of a bad guy at this stage. Um, we see Lady Macbeth's suicide. That's new. We see a dummy getting thrown off of the the um the tall castle. Yeah, though. <laughs> and I mean, bounce we'll come, off the rocks. 
Yeah, we do. We do see the su- the Lady Macbeth suicide, but mm. that's not so uncommon. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, you could put that in a play. Yeah, because in the the, the only thing in the text of the play that bears it out is that someone comes and tells. He hears a cry, right? He hears a cry, and he's like, "What is that like sound?" A scream, it's like yeah. women screaming, and he's like, "Oh, I'd forgotten the sound of fear." And then, yeah, and then someone comes and says, "Oh, by the way, that scream, that was your wife." It's like, oh, awkward. Awkward. <laughs> No, you could have, like, you could have a scream and then, you mm. know, some sort of, like, it depends how big your stage is, but you could have, like, a stage that's up. Mm. You know, it's not so crazy, yeah. but it was okay. done, because it's on film, it was, mm. it was, you know, done, done very yeah. well. Yeah, it was a dramatic moment. And, of course, the army attack. That's probably going to be a fairly common thing, is you actually see the army attack. Yeah, you know, of course, the, yeah. You know, it's hard to do that on a stage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just... you can, you're like, you're going to have, like, people on stage with like their hands to their foreheads like i see a, i see a forest moving and oh my god there's an oh, no. army and oh you no, could do... look the battle is happening you could do the keystone cops you could have like five guys like going in a circle <laughs> just off the thing so that nobody can tell it's like oh wow even more of them and like scrambling to put hats on and stuff so they look like different people well i have so i've seen two mm. immersive adaptations Ooh. of um shakespeare plays one of them oh. is uh was a Midsummer Night's Dream, uh-huh. and one was Julius Caesar, uh-huh. and it's a lot easier to do like battle scenes mm, when you just get an the immersive to fight. thing because you become like the army, ah. and they kind of move <laughs> you around. Oh my god! Yeah, so I guess if they ever and get attack. around to doing Macbeth, we will have to go and yeah, uh, <laughs> and review it for this. Yeah, if we're ever allowed out again, if we're allowed out again, let's hope not. So. <laughs> One I hate being thing. outside. <laughs> this is literally all I live for. So, <gasps> one little extra thing, and this is probably only me. I like, there's, they didn't show extra ghosts. What I mean by that is when Macbeth goes back to see the witches again, he sees three visions of other ghosts, and they're the ones who tell him the things. So, it's like a, an armoured head shows up and just says, Beware Macduff, which in my head I always like imagine as, Beware Macduff! Because it's like a <laughs> skeleton head. Like, like a duck. Beware Macduff! Beware so that's the first one. Second one's like a bloody kid. Um, I guess like having just been bored or something, but the bloody kid comes up and it's like, hey, only only Caesarian people can kill you. Only not that. Cryptically that. That would have been a helpful one. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last ghost is what's the warning again? Oh, it's a guy holding a tree. <laughs> Which is you know, Oh I'm, yeah. A guy I'm, holding a tree. It's a guy holding a tree. So in this one, and I think in most of them, it's just the witches telling that. Because, you know, you want to give more screen time to the witches. But I'll be curious to see if any of them do decide to put the extra ghosts in. Yeah. Macbeth, I, I, extra ghosts. I like extra ghosts. The like more ghosts, ghosts, the better. Yeah. But then again, like, it's not 100% necessary if your witches mm. are creepy enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which we're going to come to. So, next segment. Trammel up the consequence. Did they actually show the murder? No. They did not. Now They the reason- did not show the murder. I'm going to fixate on this because I had an English teacher who showed us the film of uh, Macbeth instead of, you know, having us go through the rest of the play, Uh, which, to be honest, is closer to the way it's meant to be experienced than reading the play, which is a terrible way to teach kids Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You should just go and see Shakespeare. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That's just easily the best way to get it into kids. Um, But yeah, so she made a big point of, okay, now in the film, which I think, I can't even remember what version it was. I'll hopefully know it when we see it. They're going to show the murder sequence. Now, everyone remember, the murder is not in the play. So don't no. mention it in your thing. And there was always... I, I know that really what she was doing was trying to make sure we didn't write about the murder in the actual... Um, in our yeah. essays and such. But there was always that kind of feeling of... I don't know, like a um, a judgment on that. Like, now the filmmakers felt the need to portray the murder. Whereas uh, Shakespeare was happy to leave it to the imagination. So... Yeah, I don't know whether that's... Um... Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because mm. filmmakers are like, great, a murder, rubbing their hands <laughs> together. Like, I can do this one. Yeah. Whereas that Shakespeare was... isn't focusing on that because the focus yeah. of the play is the madness of Macbeth, yeah. Lady Macbeth and, you know, the consequence listening the to, yeah, listening to yeah. phantoms and, and mm. listening to basically what is in your brain. Yeah. So there's, there's pros and cons. I'll be interested to see, I mean, Jesus Christ, we've got Roman Polanski coming up, so... I'm not going to believe that he didn't show that murder, so... Yeah, 100%. Um, I bet the whole thing is just one long murder. Yeah. 
<laughs> so we're going to have to see, but it'll be curious to see the impact of that. But yeah, Orson Welles decided not to show the murder, which, um, yeah, worked well. Okay, next segment. What bloody man is that? Macbeth. Macbeth. <laughs> Macbeth. Sexy, sexy Orson Welles. God, he's attractive. Yeah. And yeah. he gets like more and more attractive throughout the film. <laughs> like, I don't know if you notice this, but his hair gets like more ruffled. Oh, yeah. Throughout the film. And the more ruffled <laughs> gets, his hair gets, the more attractive he gets. He gets more disheveled as he goes. Yeah. It's um an interesting and slightly inconsistent accent from Welles, especially... Oh, my God. It's like so English. <laughs> I Oh, God. In his... um. The American really comes through in his first couple of moments. Um, yeah. So foul and fair a day I have not seen. A drum, a drum, Macbeth does come. Speak if you can, what are you? It's like, oh wow, are we playing this American? But no, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> because the witches are the first people yeah. to speak. That's true, yeah. And they're all very Scottish. They are, yeah. So I was expecting Scottish and then I got Orson <laughs> Welles' just regular accent. <laughs> Yeah, he sli- he slips into it as we go, but um, yeah, it, yeah. Beyond the accent, his performance is really good. His presence is great. He's got this yeah. swagger to him that's kind of like a boxer, like this intensity that's really good. When he's yeah, like so skulking. I've always had this kind of vision of Macbeth mm. as kind of a weed, like ah, weedy, because okay. because of the way that Lady Macbeth ah. has always been portrayed as the kind of um, more pushy figure. Yeah. Um. But in this, Orson Welles is is a big presence and he's mm. like, yeah, like a villain. And yeah. he's very um, present and he's like almost like omnipresent. Yeah, absolutely. He's like almost in every scene. Yeah. And um, he's got these eyes. Mm. Did you notice? They're piercing huge <laughs> eyes yeah. as he's getting crazy at the end. Yeah. As he's like losing his mind, his eyes are getting huge huge and yes they almost like look like they're gonna pop out <laughs> yes that is a really good way in which he renders madness as this sort of thousand yard stare that he's got going on that was yeah it's really impactful and it's a very it's an interesting performance i guess as Macbeth, as uh, fairly uh, just straightforwardly according to the play a character who is constantly reluctant like he he's really good in the early parts in surrendering his power to lady Macbeth and just being totally led on by her He's immediately out of his element and kind of um, beguiled as soon as he encounters the witches. And then, yeah, just as it goes on, he becomes more and more villainous. Yeah, as soon as he kind of put the, puts the crown on, yeah. there's a big shift. And I think there's supposed to be a shift mm. because he thinks that he's safe now. Yeah. He and then, but then obviously stuff starts to happen where he needs to feel more and more safe. Yeah. And as he gets the feeling mm. that he needs to feel more and more safe you can see Orson Welles's like brain moving <laughs> yeah and a lot you know it's a good performance when you can see the th- the thinking behind the eyes and you can see him yeah. thinking yeah I think the one thing about Macbeth generally as a play is you don't really get much of a sense of why anyone would want to be king it's kind of miserable <laughs> maybe because I know they cut a lot of Duncan scenes out from the beginning of the play maybe Duncan gives an impression of a sort of serene you know, everybody loves me kind of quality to Yeah, Duncan's in like two scenes. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, yeah, and it, yeah, it's nice at the beginning when everybody sort of bows in prayer with him. Yeah. So maybe that was meant to be, this is what, you know, being a kin looks like on a good day. It's just that Macbeth doesn't get any of those. He's yeah, so he's very like, Duncan is like beloved, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, next, the serpent under it. And that's Lady Macbeth. Played Lady by... Macbeth. Jeanette Nolan. And I think the two big scenes to judge your Lady Macbeth, if you're going to buy a Lady Macbeth, here's how you know you've got a good one. <laughs> you look at Act 1, Scene 7, where she convinces Macbeth to go ahead with the murder of Duncan, and Act 5, Scene 1, where she sleepwalks. Yes. I think, so that's sort of her at the height of her power and the depth of her kind of madness. Yeah, I kind of made to an observation on kind of both of those mm. bits of Lady Macbeth. Firstly, the way that she is dressed and made up. Yeah. So she is dressed in when she's, you know, being the evil Lady Macbeth. Mm. Very straight. Her hair is up. She's got like a kind of bun, like a really elaborate kind of bun on her head. Um, And then as soon as she's crazy, (laughs) you do the classic Shakespeare thing where she's wearing a nightie and her hair is down. (laughs) And that is like what he always does. Like... I know that obviously in the Ophelia play, and such, it's yeah. not 
written in the play like wear an IT put your hair down yeah. but that is like and it's just such a classic and I loved it I thought it was just like I was like yes I know she's crazy because yeah. she's got her hair down she's wearing an IT yeah. she hasn't put the effort in that's how you know a lady's gone crazy L-M. She's, she's taken a, <laughs> a casual day and therefore she's having a day off <laughs> she's having a day off she's wearing her Uggs it is yeah that, that's a really good signifier of her madness i think nolan did better at scheme maybe it's just i like the character better when she's evil i'm not sure i'm gonna need these movies to sell to me that it's a good thing that lady macbeth goes crazy Ooh, it here's the smell of the blood still <laughs> oh the perfumes of arabia will not sweeten this because like yeah, you say she, it's really abrupt it happens so quickly that's what i was yeah. going to say and i know it happens quickly in the play but mm. she goes from being like absolute scheming bitch to yeah. being insane there's no like any there's no like transition period whatsoever no there's not and on the way she's actually like keep your shit together you know Macbeth, you know to him and it just makes more sense to me if he would be the one really descending into madness and she would sort of try and keep it together and maybe eventually comes to a bad end as a result of that. But yeah, I'm going to need these movies to... Hopefully one of them will have focused a bit more on Lady Macbeth as a character. Yeah, I this... think that, like you hmm. said, with the sleepwalking scene yeah. and Macbeth kind of just walks through. Yeah. Even though it was quite an impactful scene to have him there, mm. I think if he hadn't been there... We might have had more of her slipping into the madness. Yeah. Also, um, the Ameri- her American accent does slip a little bit when she's screaming into nothing. Put on your nightgown. Look not so pale. I tell you yet again, Banquo's buried. He cannot come out on his grave. Now, otherwise, you're right. It's a pretty impeccable Scottish accent that Jeanette, uh, Jeanette Nolan has and a really kind of shrewd kind of... Uh, glaswegian kind of thing that she's got going on yeah she does have a very like harsh (laughs) scottish accent (laughs) yeah so yeah i like jeanette nolan a lot um right weirdest sister and we're going to talk about how spooky those witches are they were pretty spooky they were spooky yeah they were i think they were even spookier because they're in black and white yeah it really helped and in that beginning you're seeing lots of weird little tight close-ups and like of the cauldron bubbling and hands reaching into stuff and yeah, it was a very visceral kind of portrayal of them. Did you notice that they didn't barely ever show their faces? Mm. It was just yes. all like hair yes, over their, their faces. And I love that. It was that kind of like hair that I wish I had. Kind of almost <laughs> like dreadlocks. <laughs> now the most mysterious segment of this podcast. The one I've kept secret from you. I am so mystified. <laughs> so mystified. Because this one is a mystery. The segment is called He Needs Not Our Mistrust. And it's about the third murderer. When Macbeth sends t- uh, murderers after, um, who does he send them after? He sends them after the guy and his kid. Oh, um, Banquo. Banquo, Banquo of course. Um, yeah, but he sends them after Banquo. He sends two murderers. And then when we cut to the murder, a third guy has shown up. And they're like, so who told you to come with us again? And he's like, uh, Macbeth did. And he's like, oh, well, that checks out. And they just keep him along. And then later on, when they report back, third murderer is nowhere to be seen. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, hang on a second, where's the other guy? <laughs> so I'd be really curious to keep track of third murderer throughout okay. these. Um, in here, he's he's barely mentioned because basically his identity has been the source of scholarly debate. And I like that. It kind of reminds me of like Game of Thrones, you know, is this character secretly this character, you know, all the rest of it. And yeah, some people have suggested Macbeth might be the third murderer. Others that Ross might be him, which is weird. Or but- like... There is the theory that Shakespeare just forgot how many murders he'd written in like yes. the original scene. <laughs> Apparently, I have read to just today. Actually, I read that there's genuinely a scholarly thing that talks about how Macbeth was meant to be at the dinner at seven o'clock, but everybody shows up at midnight, and so maybe that's why maybe he was off killing Banquo. Oh. Um, but then someone was like, "No, Shakespeare just was bad at paying attention to detail." <laughs> yeah, that's my <laughs> thoughts on it. But maybe actually he was just, or like he had a friend who was like, "Look, I just want a really small part, <laughs> like one scene." He showed up on so the he's day. Like, Look, I'll just put you in this. I'll put you in this murderer scene and then... 
It was just, God damn it, now I've got to write him into the play forever. <laughs> and then, oh. like, centuries later, people are, like, holding round tables about, like, the third murderer. Yeah. Who could he be? And it's just Jeff and the Butchers. <laughs> <laughs> God damn Jeff and the Butchers and his impact on literary literary art. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll check back in with that. But for this one, pretty low-key third murderer. Pretty low-key, no fuss, <laughs> third murderer. <laughs> Just there for you to be confused about. Okay, our last segment, A Charmed Life. And it's Katie's Shakespeare fact. Oh, my Shakespeare fact. My Shakespeare <laughs> fact today, you may have already seen going around Twitter, but here it is anyway. Um, did you know that Shakespeare wrote King Lear while he was in isolation, hiding from oh. the plague? Good stuff. <laughs> so there you go, there's your Shakespeare fact. Shakespeare wrote King Lear while in isolation. <laughs> so now, listeners, you can go out and write your masterpieces. Because <laughs> clearly go out that's what everybody's doing. Stay in and write your masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Shakespeare did when he was socially distancing himself. But then again, I don't know how good the nightclubs were back back in old... In old big Stratford-upon-Avon. <laughs> in Stratford-upon-Avon. Though he was Asian? in London by then, so... Oh, okay. Well, then he was living in up big style. So yeah, there were lots of good clubs. (laughs) So to sum up on Orson Welles' 1948 Macbeth, I I really like this one. How do you want to summarise? I liked it. I thought that it was a very good adaptation, pretty much straight adaptation of the stage play. Mm. And it was a great place to start. Yes, I think so. If you're thinking of watching an adaptation of Macbeth and you've never seen one before... I think this would be a good place to start because of how close he is to the play. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be interested to see if any sort of better candidates for one place to start come up as we continue on through this. But um, Yeah, because yeah. we originally didn't know where to start, did we? No, we had no idea. I wanted to try and find if someone had just filmed the play. I'm sure know, there's somewhere. there must be an RSC. Yeah, exactly. It's probably there, There's a big box set of RSC stuff you can buy for like £100 or something like that that has like his whole works in it. But nobody's bothered to put it on YouTube, unfortunately. Damn it. Come on, it. guys. We're stuck indoors. This is the time <laughs> to watch all 37 plays. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Katie, where can people hear more of you and your stuff? Oh, people can follow me on Twitter at Katie Writes About. Um, that's Katie with a Y, by the way. Oh, and uh, my you. website is the same, katiewritesabout.com. And I also have another podcast about history. And that podcast is called Have You Ever Heard Of? What about you, Paul? Where can people find you? Where, indeed. Well, you can stay right here on Screen Mayhem, where I um, uh, com- frequently appear on um, Screen Mayhem Extra with the wonderful Mr. Matthew Whitaker. Um, or you can also find my reviews on ScreenMayhem.com. Or you can find out my other little side project, uh, my other little piece on the side with Paul Goodman. Um, oh, called <laughs> That called guy. One... Love that guy. Also hate that, that guy. guy. Also hate that guy. Uh, one good thing it's called, and we watch terrible movies and find nice things to say about them, and we've done it 168 times. Oh, Jesus. Oh my <laughs> I know, right? And I've listened to every old. single one. <laughs> Yay! So if you want to be as happy as Katie is there, so then happy. you just have to head on over to One Good Thing. And, uh, but um, also tune in to your sort of podcast dial next time, where we shall be hopefully reviewing Hallmark's Hall of Fame adaptation from 1954, starring Maurice Evans and Judith Anderson. Excellent. Can't wait. <laughs> so away and mock the time with fairest show. False face must hide what the false heart doth know. Bye. 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 <laughs>